Hi everyone, welcome back to Reader's Table, the podcast where two story lovers talk about books, movies, and stories of any kind. I'm Nick. And I'm Priscilla. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Stay up to date and join the community on Instagram at Reader's Table. If you want to support us and are looking for exclusive content, use our Patreon link in the description. Here we are, episode seven, mm-hmm. season three. And this is gonna be a bit of a different episode. The last two episodes were about news and Q&As and yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and for this special episode, we decided to talk about a book we finally managed to body read. <laughs> and by that book, I'm thinking about The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And this book has been on our TBR, I think, for a while now, but we, we never got to it. Um, and now we said, let's do it. And by the time we're recording this, it's September. The Lord of the Rings series on Amazon, like the Rings of Power, have just launched and we haven't watched all of it. But we thought it's a great opportunity to jump into the books to also catch up on the lore via series. Which might not be the most reliable source because (laughs) they write a new story and and new things into it that doesn't exist yet, I heard. Which is okay, I'm not saying whether that's bad or not. Anyways, to those that are new readers' table, we have special episodes at the end of each season. And we top it off, as Priscilla said, with The Hobbit. Yes. So we have both read The Hobbit and we have both not yet read the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but we've seen the movies. So... I haven't seen your rating yet. On Goodreads, I gave it five stars. So what is your rating? I actually didn't take any notes while reading, but I didn't give it five stars. I gave it four stars, but there's a reason behind it. Um, it's a personal preference. But other than that, you know, I don't have anything negative to say about it. Mm-hmm. I had some difficulties in the beginning to really get into the story as it is written because i still have parts of the movie very vividly in front of my eyes i can remember stuff and then yeah my brain just goes like when when it reads about i think that's normal right when you watch a movie that the book exists from and then you read the book you just tend to think of the characters as the actors and that's why i hate to read a book after i've watched the movie those who don't know what The Hobbit is, it's a fantasy story basically about a halfling, which is just a small person, going on a quest with dwarves and a wizard. But I think everybody or most people know. How do you think it compares to the movies? Well, as I said, it was difficult to get into the book in the beginning because I still remember the movie. But after a while, that feeling or those images wore off and I was more able to to settle myself in Middle-earth. Now, after finishing, I appreciate both mediums separately, but I don't think the movie should have focused more on the book and the other way around. What do you think of the decision of making a one-book story that's barely 250 pages, a three-movie adventure, with each movie being two to three hours? I actually think it was great the movies were able to do that. So you were able to follow the story more visually in detail. In the book, you sometimes skip from moment to moment and the author will be like, well, because we have different or more pressing matters to attend to, we'll talk about this another time. And it's okay in the book and it's a children's book, so it works even more. 
But in the movie, I really enjoyed the continuation of the visuals and the acting and filling in the blank spaces. Mm-hmm. What about you? When you adapt a book to movie, oftentimes what you see is that details get uh, lost because books are able to convey not visuals, but they're able to convey ideas. They're able to convey sentiment and uh, emotions and trauma, whatever, right? They go really deep and that's then lost on the visual translation on the screen because it's so fast paced. So when you read a book that's 200 to 300 pages, it's hard to pack everything in there. So for that, I think it's good that they're longer and it's three movies. I think they could have done two though. And here's why. I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe when I compare the Lord of the Rings to The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings had such a success, rightfully so, that they thought we have to do the same with The Hobbit, right? We have to do a three, we have to do the same thing. It has to be epic, it has to be told similarly, and it has to be three movies, which sort of from a marketing point of view makes sense. However, when you look at the books, this is the way to translate it to the movie, the way they've done it. I think it's the right way. However, The Hobbit is told, in my opinion, when I even look at the movies in a different tone, because obviously it's a children's book and its audience is different, its aim is different, and the basically Hobbit, for being one book and the way it's written, I think it doesn't translate well to three movies at three hours epic story. I think it should have been showed in movies differently. You can't tell a story like The Hobbit like you tell The Lord of the Rings on the screen is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I get what you mean. And, and I do understand it. And I think partially like that. Mm-hmm. But I still appreciate the movies for what they are. The Hobbit still feels like, like a great start into the lore. Because it starts easily but already delivers a lot of content in the sense of like lore but also character-wise. Mm-hmm. You see how Bilbo develops as a character or grows as a character and that later on i believe in the books transfers to frodo mm-hmm. like the the intentions and the motivations mm-hmm. yeah good point since we've body read this we've talked about it already a little bit yes at certain stages we haven't talked about the latter part so maybe let's hone in on that a bit we can also talk about the other things of course i'll start at the beginning but like okay. and then lead to the end okay let's do that chronologically but, okay let's let's do that and focus on the changes between book and movie Um, The most prominent ones. Obviously, there's many when we go into detail, but the most prominent ones, um, I think for me, maybe you don't agree, but for me, the first most prominent change is the way they handled the trolls in the movie and the whole interaction afterwards. True, it was more epic in the movie. In the book, it was more realistic. Yeah, I think in the... I wouldn't say more epic in the movie. I would say more... Well, with the huge Goblin King and... No, I'm talking about the trolls. The goblins too, though. You're right. Because oh, yeah, let's take really... those together, the trolls and the goblin. Because I those was are... already at the goblin part. But the trolls was really handled differently. But there too is more epic in the movie. Yes. Maybe, because it's more visually yes. epic. Yes. Right? And w- when you read get. a book, that's what I actually appreciate when you read the book first before you watch the movie, is you can build your own version of, of the troll, for example. Mm-hmm. And now I already had this given version and obviously... For me, I was gonna compare. Well, how do you it. think I feel? I, I'm a DM in Dungeons and Dragons. The trolls look different there too, <laughs> so I'm all confused. I don't know if they're slender or thick or big or tiny. Just or... ugly. <laughs> but anyways, the difference between—I don't even know if it's a difference. I mean, it is a difference, but it is so different in the movie. 
it's not even existent in the book as octa defiler yeah he doesn't what the hell he, he came up twice in the book yeah in the lore as octa defiler is a urukai which is a orc like that's a i think that's black speech for for orc and he battled at moria i think against uh his grandfather thorin's grandfather grandfather. which is either thrain or thor and he beheads him Mm -hmm. also beheading the dwarf king and then they battle on and they they're able to successfully defeat him but he's not they don't know if he's killed he's wounded though azok in the lore and then they just assume that he died from his wounds. And that's that's the lore. And then in the movie, they made him actually still alive without Thorin, which is the dwarven prince, knowing it. Mm-hmm. And they, they suspect he's still out there, but they don't know. So this whole movie has this side plot of orcs being led by Azok the Defiler chasing after the dwarves because, you know, he is the one that's cut off his arm. So Thorin being the one that cut off Azok's arm. So he has to get revenge and kill and decimate the line of Durin. What do I you first think of that? Didn't, I first didn't realize it, but as you mentioned now, yes, he, Azok was mentioned twice mm-hmm. and it was his son that was more present in the in the Hobbit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true, in the end. But yeah. Belko, Balko, I, I forgot B. his name. Yeah. yeah, something would be... It was a bit sad that they changed the path of Thorin, so to say, mm-hmm. in the movie. Because Azok wasn't even in the books. And mm-hmm. I wonder now, in hindsight, would the movie have worked if there was no Azok? And instead, um, if the goblins were mm-hmm. were more present and more evil and more ready to hunt the dwarves down. Yeah, because the battle to five armies in the movie is the elves, the humans, the dwarves, the Iron Hill dwarves, and the orcs with Azok. And in the book, it was instead of the Orcs of Azok, it was the goblins. Yes. Which were riled up because they killed the Goblin King. Right? Yes. Yeah. What I like about it is that everything comes together at the end in the book. You know, there's no threads left hanging. Like every character meet, they come back and they, they find a place in the, in the story. However, I like it better than the movie version, I think. Because somewhere I read, I think I told you this, that the Azok was, was made in the movie or they chose to do it to him because... They needed an, an extra... An antagonist, yeah. Yeah, an like anta- a, yeah. extra antagonist before yeah. smoke came. Yeah, like a, a, a driving force that helps you identify with Thor inside. I don't think that would have been necessary, to be honest, after reading the book. I wrote it, the, the book's called The Hobbit. I wrote it for The Hobbit mostly anyways, right? For Bilbo, because it's... Yes, because we want to know about his journey. Yeah. There's something else I thought was a bit sad. They didn't have more in the movie, and those were the singing and rhyming moments in the mm-hmm. book. But they did. They really yeah, focused on that. Yeah, but not much. It's a bit of poetry in the book. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense the way they adapted it in, in most parts in the movie. For example, when they, in the beginning of the first Hobbit movie, when dwarves sing, it makes sense. The dwarves, you know, and the, the first one is really fun when they clean up the dishes. And then the second one is really serious when they talk about their, you know, home it's being destroyed. The song. Yeah. And I think... It, it's only right that they didn't adapt the high elf songs somehow because the elves are presented a bit differently in the movie, you know, given the fact that they've been seen before on screen. Legolas wasn't in the book. Yes. And neither was uh, the Tauriel. female Tauriel because she doesn't exist in the lore. That's what one they made up. What did you think of that? In fantasy, a little romance is okay, but mm-hmm. you, you don't have to really force it, in my opinion, if, if there's no literature on it. Then, mm-hmm. you know... 
you can, but for me, it was not necessary. What do you think all. of the purpose of it being that there was at least one woman in the story and not none? Because in The Hobbit, there's no woman. Honestly, I took the story for what it was. It was also written way back in the days. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't mind, you know, it's a classic and and they didn't do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I think there's also authors that do it on purpose, but mm-hmm. the general consensus that I get here is they just went for the story they wanted to write and they just let it flow and there just happened to be no woman in it. I didn't mind there being an extra woman in the movies. I don't know. It's It depends on what you want to do, you know. I think what they wanted to do and how it turned out was okay in the movies. But then again, if you're, if, if you're adamant on wanting to add more females in a story that has none, then maybe do one that has nothing to do with romance because it's a bit stereotypical. Like, do, do you get what you I'm saying? You just do the Lordess of the Rings. I don't know, what's no, the female no, no, version no, of Lords? La- ladies of the yeah, <laughs> Ladies just... of the Crown. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, Tauriel has a potential to be really interesting. What do yeah. we know about her? She mm. likes the dwarf guy. Keely. She's the lo- lo- love interest. And she's a lo- in a love triangle with Legolas and, and Keely. What does that tell us? It doesn't give a strong female character at all. It's nope. just... And she never speaks to any other women. What I really liked, though, was the scene. Even though it was not spoken specifically about it, and it was more a recap um, where Smoke went to Lake Town and then was slayed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like and that you... illustration was really nice. Yeah, did you like that better in the movie or in the book? I liked it better in the book, actually. Same. Also, when we talk about smoke, where Bilbo enters the cave, mm-hmm. it feels more realistic the way he interacts with the dragon mm-hmm. and the way he acts as a burglar. And the proper talking with the dragon and the witty... Mm-hmm. Uh, conversation. Which, you know what I just realized? No. Sorry that I interrupt you, but I think I have to say this. You probably have realized this while reading, and maybe you haven't, but I think you have. The way he tossed the dragon in riddles was foreshadowed with Gollum. So the scene with Gollum is is both obviously is important because he gets the ring, but it's also important because you know he's witty to do that. If we didn't get that scene with Gollum, with him riddling with Gollum and and fooling him. And really, those riddles are great, personally, I think. We would think it's weird if he started talking like that to the dragon. True, but so since we know, yeah, we know, like, no, this is Bilbo. Like, he knows how to do that. Also, adding to that, a week before we started reading it, or while we were reading it, we went to um, the Beatus Caves. So I also had some sort of visuals to imagine. The caves in, in, in the Bernese Mountains. Yes, near very cool. The Lake of Thun. Um, and yeah, I had, that helped me to imagine the place where Gollum lived. I agree. I, I felt that the same way. I was like, yeah, now we're here in the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt a bit like it. And the, it made it more scary even because it, when you're in a cave in a mountain, if you've ever been and you think away the lights that are placed there, it's really just darkness. It's and cold. That, yeah. And, and wet. All in all, great book. Mm-hmm. good adaptation yes but i did not like the ending as much and that's why i gave it four stars the book because the ending ended too late like it should have ended earlier yes it yeah. should have ended a chapter earlier like when you watch the movies it is in the last chapter though where it should have ended when they get to the shire yes exactly that's so in in, in yeah. the movie they get to the shire after just his adventure and he sees that um his goods and his 
property are, are being auctioned. Yeah, are being auctioned. And that also exists in the book, but it's not the final ending. In the book, the final ending happens with Balin coming to visit Bilbo and they have a chat about the good old times. Like years later. Yes. Yeah. So I thought, no, it should have stopped with the auction because that's a funny moment. Oh, you thought it should have stopped there? I yeah, like it should have stopped even earlier. No, I thought the, the auction was a great time. That is all the last chapter. Okay, so maybe I have to re yeah. rephrase um, the part where the book should have stopped was with the auction. Yeah, yeah. When Bilbo walks back with Gandalf and it's described how they see the Shire under him and the overhill and his memories and and then they walk into the Shire. That's how it should have stopped for me. Because then you can imagine... It's also a good part, you know, like, yes. You don't know what happened afterwards. Maybe he got back home, maybe Gandalf uh, just vanished or maybe he stayed for some tea. But I love the part when they talk about the auction and he said... And Do you they understand why I don't like it though, the auction as an ending? Because it's... It's like a revival of the story. Yeah, it's anticlimactic. It's like, oh, he's back home now. Beautiful scenery is described. And now here's some funny stuff. Yeah, but that was funny with his it. family yeah, and no, they stole it. all the silvery spoons and he, that's why they got like went separate ways. You and... know how I would have handled it if I had any say in it? I would have ended the book the last chapter at where he goes to the shire like i said before and then the last bit with the auction and the balin visiting as an epilogue chapter oh yes although honestly but i love it the way it is as well epilogues are not always fitting sometimes i just think the story is done the moment it is done and you don't need to add something more because if it's really good you can write a sequel yeah, but I, I still liked it the whole bit the way it ended. It's, it's still okay. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's great yeah. the way it is. But I, I understand your point. I, that's I think, really just the yeah. one thing that kind of bothered me a bit. Yeah. Maybe another reason that I only gave it four stars is that it was difficult to get into the book in the beginning. But that's my own fault because I watched the movies first. I have some quotes. Uh, I highlighted some parts of the book that I found hilarious. Because some of the things I really found hilarious. In the last chapter... Bilbo is on his way home with Gandalf and they go to all the places they've visited with the dwarves, mm -hmm. go by the Elven King and the Forest Elves, they go by Baron and his place and they go through the mountains and then they go to the High Elves, mm -hmm. Elrond, and there he falls asleep as he as Gandalf is <laughs> recounting yeah. to Elrond and then there's this passage where it says, and I quote, he woke to find himself in a white bed and the moon shining through an open window. Below it, many elves were singing loud and clear on the banks of the stream. Then there's a song, which is re really beautiful. And then his reaction, I really had to laugh. It, it made me think of, like, old people in Switzerland. <laughs> He's like, well, merry people, said Bilbo, looking out. What time by the moon is this? Your lullaby would waken a drunken goblin. Yet, I thank you. It's like passive aggressively. <laughs> yes. Because they will come up in it's, night. it's so eloquently aggressive. Yeah, I love the way... This is written, right? Like the way mm -hmm. Bilbo talks, like he's very polite, but you can hear the aggression. <laughs> yes. But there's there, there are a lot of parts like that, like funny bits mm -hmm. in, in the book. And there is not an oversaturation no, of no. them. They were pointed, uh, they were placed perfectly um, and there were, weren't too many. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also a great humor is. I agree. Yes. What I wanted to mention as well is I currently listen to a podcast by podcast and it's called mythology and there they have a limited series called der ring des nibelungen 
And apparently Tolkien was inspired by Richard Wagner's opera. And actually, I really like these uh, two episodes so far. There's going to be two more and because we're recording a bit early. Mm -hmm. um, but go ahead and listen to them. There are also parallels to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Good input. To get back to the beautiful songs that you had mentioned, let's see who sang this. But I just want to point out that I love the poetry and prose of which Tolkien writes, especially in the songs. Because in songwriting... When you have, and I've written songs, so you might wonder, why, why is he talking about songwriting now? You want to want to care about, and then poetry as well. Right? Mm -hmm. When you have verses in poetry, you want to make sure that the syllable count or the cadence at which the syllables are spoken mirror each other. So the length of it sounds natural. When you, when you read it, you can imagine what it, the cadence might sound like. If it's bad lyrical writing or poetry... That doesn't always fit and so you would get one line that seems sounding longer than the other and it doesn't fit in this place so he's really good at that and i really love his alliteration he did alliteration is where all the consonants of a sentence or of like a space in which you have a verse or a line start with the same sound so here he could hear the goblins beginning a horrible song oh i love that one Fifteen birds and five fir trees, their feathers were fanned in fiery breeze. Do you hear the mm -hmm. F sound? That's alliteration. So you get the F sound as an alliteration, which mirrors the wind that goes through the fir trees, kind of, right? But also the the, fi the fire part, because the fire is like this... Seriously, I didn't catch and up on also, that. I just liked it. <laughs> also, the flapping of bird wings. Fifteen birds and five fir trees, their feathers are fanned in a fiery breeze. This is so poetic. I love it. I and now that I broke it down, that. yeah, because you don't, uh, you're not into that stuff. Like it. Yeah, not the theoretical yeah, stuff. Yeah. But now that I broke it down to you, you even like it more, probably, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Can pretty I really appreciate dude. the art of this, like the the meticulousness he put into it, because he didn't have to. So the last one I have here is. The way Tolkien delivers his lore is sometimes through culture. And by culture, I mean language, mostly, because he liked languages, but also behavior. So the way dwarves behave and the way they speak, the way they use words and sentences and idioms is unique to dwarves as opposed to the elves. So dwarves will say things and you as a reader might not understand what they mean and then it happens more and more and more in the book and you know, ah, oh, that's what they mean. So when dwarves wish good luck, I don't know who says it to who that I didn't uh, highlight. They compliment the beard. So, the, <laughs> or, so or when they want to curse you, they say your beard m made wither. So here he says, curse him for his choice of you. May his beard wither. That's what Thorin <laughs> says to Gandalf because he's angry. Yeah, the, I remember. The Arkenstones and beards are very important. Yeah. And so, uh, and then there's other parts where, where they're said like, oh, May your beard grow long and, mm -hmm. and, and thick or something. So I love that, you know, because it's, it makes it more real. You really mm -hmm. believe that this is a real place. and True. So I guess we can conclude that The Hobbit, as a first installment in the epic quartet, mm -hmm. at least the main quartet, is a great start into the world of Middle-earth and J.R.R. Tolkien's um, writing. I agree. And I honestly can't wait to continue the, the Lord, Lord of, of the, the Rings, Rings series. Yeah. 
what I'm curious about in the Lord of the Rings if is... Nicholas exists <laughs> no no of course he exists <laughs> he was also there in the book but he just didn't mention him mm -hmm. it is later um, Explained, saw... explored yeah when Bilbo puts on the ring and he becomes invisible you can still see his shadow a mm -hmm. little bit flickering that's not in the movies in the movies you don't see anything true and I wanna, I wonder how this ties into the book because that's an important detail in the Lord of the Rings books how is it different from the movies then you know but you know why it is good in terms of the book because there's always two sides to the coin mm -hmm. so you have to, you're invisible but you cannot have the invisibility for all cost you yes. ha you have to give in something and that's a shadow well the big cost is that Sauron knows where you are yes but we don't know that yet yes yeah, yeah I know I'm just well we do <laughs> yeah we but <laughs> yes. if you read I'm just the book... curious how the little cost you're right that's the cost I'm curious how that comes into play in the Lord of the Rings books anyways thank you for listening as always and uh, tune in in two weeks for oh yeah the season finale that's it for today's episode we hope you enjoyed The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Stay up to date and join the community on Instagram at Readers Table. If you want to support us and are looking for exclusive content, use our Patreon link in the description. Thank you very much for listening.